Welcome to the Movie is on the Brain podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood. With me this evening is my good friend and co-host, Chad Betts. Welcome to another weird, wild, and wacky week in the world of genre movie news. And as promised, as we inch closer to episode 300, we have our good friend and uh, special guest, Jim Vavita of IGN.com. How are you, Jim? I'm well. I'm well. I I really appreciate, as always, the invite to join you guys. And uh, I know it's been a, a, a hot minute since I've been able to do this, but it's uh, things are quote unquote back to normal, whether we want it to be or not. So uh, it's been a little busier than usual. Yeah, it's not like anybody in Hollywood's giving you anything to write about right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a very um, slow news cycle. So, so Jim, um, you've covered Comic Con many times, and you've been in Hall H many times. Um. What was the atmosphere like being back in the, you know, being, everybody being back together for San Diego Comic-Con this year? And what was your reaction to Marvel dropping phase four, five and six uh, in Hall H on Saturday evening? Well, I will caveat that with saying, yes, I have I've been to Comic-Con probably about 16 times or more at this point. However, this was the first year I was not in Hall H. I was part of IGN's live show uh, behind the scenes. So I was in our studio the whole time. Uh, first time in ages I've not been in Hall H. But I can still answer that by saying the the um, the fact that they went so big and not only kind of gave us um, – literally closure on on phase four but also all of phase five and most of phase six is uh was astounding and uh was definitely them resetting the narrative amidst the complaints i'm sure they know that phase four has not been their strongest phase uh not terrible but sort of um amorphous in a way sort of like i don't know what the overall um, arc of phase four is outside of just table setting and introducing some new people. I mean, I guess phase one did that, but they were able to also lay out the stakes. I feel like in a more clear and sort of um, pleasing way. Uh, You know, I know I'm not the only one to point this out, but like, it's not just the multiverse stuff at stake. We've got all these different things going on. In the MCU, including ground level stuff with, you know, uh, what is it, the the uh, the Countess from Falcon and Winter Soldier, Val, you know, and uh, all the stuff going on with like uh, John Walker and all of that Thunderbolts being set up. So I think there's a lot to chew on there, but um, I do I, I do wonder if they didn't sort of like Marvel's great thing is to always like not have you think about what's going on in the present to have you amped up about what's next. They are very much a showman in that regard. They understand like, we got to get you back next time. So here's everything to look forward to. Uh, that's the purpose that they're, that they're made in post-credit scenes serve. Um, and let's face it, you know, people didn't walk out of, most people didn't walk out of Eternals like stoked, but boy, that Harry Styles cameo, <laughs> you know, certainly got you talking. Um, so yeah, there's a, I think that was the Hall H equivalent of that. Indeed. And 
it's very unusual to get the announcement of not one but two Avengers movies scheduled to release in the same year. Um, and I think, as you point out too, I think they heard some of the complaints about the roadmap, about where is this going, what is this leading to. I think they kind of uh, wanted to answer some of that. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a victim of their own success in a way and of their own hype machine. Uh, I mean, they trained people to think like this and to anticipate this. So now you have to deliver. You can't blame the audience for asking these questions when you clearly wanted them to do that leading up to, you know, the conclusion of the Infinity Saga. So, uh, you know, it just goes with the territory at this point. All right. I yield my time to Chad Metz. <laughs> so, Jim, originally I was going to ask you about uh, WB at, at Comic-Con, but, um, you know, WB seems to be on fire right now. <laughs> so we can just start with anything because it, it all seems to be bad. Uh, like, <laughs> what is really going on over there? Like, why is everything? It's, it's a It's a complete resetting of the company's goals and long-term sort of agenda for not only what they want for DC, but what they want as a, as a media company, including on streaming. I mean, the fact that they essentially have erased uh, HBO max originals, and I'm not just talking about canceling Batgirl. I'm talking about like an American pickle being taken off. Like why you already paid for the damn movie. It's already been out. What what's the harm in leaving these movies and shows that were fairly well received by your your they didn't lose you any subscribers, you know? Like I don't get the it just seems petty to me. Like if I were a creative, I I, I would be very reticent to want to get into bed with these guys because they're just they're not showing that, you know they even care that your work is remembered in any way. You know, it's to me, it's pretty chilling. The more we get into things shot on digital and things shot, um, you know, for streaming and just living on a server that all it takes is something getting deleted off a server and hundreds of people's work is literally erased is to me, disgusting and frightening. Like, you know, nobody, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's just to me a kind of unconscionable that they would do that for a tax write-off. Hopefully things are really backed up somewhere, but who knows? And I also, to your larger point, Chad, like, um, I don't know what's, uh, I feel like you're alluding to this. Like, I don't know what's safe or what's not over there. I, I feel like there are these kind of cleverly timed press releases but are they in response to other things that are happening? People assume there's a plan. Like even IGN was like, ah, oh, the Batman too is safe. And I'm like, is it though? <laughs> like, I don't know. He signed a deal. Was that a make good? Like, I don't know. Um, you know, Disney plus announces they're doing a King Kong series. And then the next day there's a thing about, Oh, don't worry, Warner Brothers still has a movie that has King Kong. And I know that's a whole other rights issue, but there does seem to be a lot of um, tit-for-tat kind of uh, um, communications going on these days. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to be a fly on the wall at some of these things. Right. It, 
it's I mean, it, at the very least, it's interesting. But you the the part about the creatives before I get to like specific DC stuff, watching everything that's happened just in the last couple of months, like, do you get the sense that creatives are like, I mean, if it were me, why would I do anything with them? I, there's nothing you show me that there's nothing safe. So how all their moves are doing? You're going to get anybody it, making any real commitments until right. the flash comes out, or it doesn't, you know, or after Black Adam and Shazam come out. Because I, I, if I were a creative, I'm not doing, I'm not signing anything, right? Until there's a Feige there to like, at least I can feel like there's some hand on the tiller. I think it's one thing if you're James Gunn, where you know the show did do well for them um but you know they'll need them until they don't right like and i feel like any of these guys are pros they've been around they know but the fact that there are more canceled dc projects than there are greenlit let alone produced ones is i feel like all the commentary you need and the whole idea of like oh a 10-year plan You've had ten-year plans. This isn't a new idea. It's literally all of it, all of Zaslav's um, uh, spiel and in, in his <laughs> lieutenants' spiels during the their uh, I think it was the TCA or investors call. Um, you know, like describing what the plan is for you know HBO Max and everything. It's like you're describing cable television. It's weekly <laughs> offerings <laughs> with ads. And episodic, it's like, yeah, it's TV. It's been around since the '40s. There's nothing new here. So, you know, and don't, I don't don't forget female driven or <laughs> yeah, oh god, yeah, yeah. I mean, from the the network that brought you and just like that, uh, you know, and the Gilded Age and everything. Like, mind you, too, I watch. and and, uh, you know i know plenty of women who are watching house of the dragon who watch game of thrones who watch Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote male shows westworld any of that stuff like that's to me just another sign of like boy you are out of touch with the people you're trying to get on board you know and way to alienate you know your audience right from the get-go right well one one last warner brothers one um with Everything that's going on there, and like you said, they need a Feige for for DC. What what type of person would want to take on this challenge with this regime? And and but what do you think they actually need to be successful? I mean, that's that's the billion dollar question because if there was such a person, they'd have gotten them by now. They've tried the Feige thing in the past. Feige only works if management will support him. Feige is only Feige because the Disney brass stuck with him. And when a push came to shove and Ike Perlmutter was so far, you know, on the bad side of Feige that Feige threatened to quit uh, for your, you know, listeners, if they don't know who Ike Perlmutter is, he's the, (laughs) He he is he he runs Marvel the publishing stuff and up until a few years ago was also the boss of anything that happened with film and television and that explains a lot why things went down between film and TV the way they did on the Marvel side but notorious cheapskate uh, 
sounds like a right bastard in many ways. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, get a lot of other baggage that you can Google without me uh, getting sued. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, there's, there's, you know, Feige threatened to quit. Um, that's a fact. And it, it took Alan Horn, who went from Warner Brothers to Disney, and is one of the most well-liked execs in town, to be like, okay, you can just answer to me now. We're not going to lose you. You need whoever comes into DC, they need that. They need that level of protection. But nobody at DC, or I should say Warner's, not DC, Warner's is gonna be around long enough to offer anybody any of that. <laughs> you know, like they they gotta get their house in order first before you can, you know. If you try to bring a, a Feige now, it'll be another three-year band-aid of a, an executive position like Walter Hamada was, like Jeff Johns was, like they tried to do that with Snyder, they tried to do that with Nolan. Like as long as the brass are going to F it up, there's no, like you're not going to get what you need. I will say that Michael DeLuca, the new co-boss over at Warner Brothers, is a fanboy, and I've known that for like 30 years. A buddy of mine in college was a script reader at New Line Cinema back in the early 90s when Mike DeLuca was this hotshot junior executive, like really junior. But he was the guy that went into meetings wearing earrings and Batman t-shirts <laughs> and red comics and all these kind of like executives in suits and ties, like didn't know what to make of the guy. Well, he helped make New Line New Line and Yes, he had a controversial run for a while, but he got his act together and he is now, you know, he was at Sony, he's now at Warner's. And I feel like he does, he does know nerd stuff. He does like it, you know? So I hope that he can be that sort of um, protective layer for whoever does come in to be a Feige. I don't think he can do it alone because he's got too many other... Warner Brothers isn't Marvel. Warner Brothers has to make a variety of movies that all have to serve the big, the bigger beast that is now Warner Brothers Discovery. So he can't just be worried about Batman and all that. He's got other things he's going to do. So you do need that one creative with a business savvy that can straddle those worlds and make it happen. I don't know if that person exists yet. <laughs> And I'm not um, saying that to be a, a snarky bastard. I'm just, it's a its a matter of fact. Like, Feige is a unicorn, right? Feige at any other studio, would he have gone as far? I don't know. Maybe. But, like, he clearly was the right person at the right time. It's just one of those cosmic marriages, right? Like, he is very lucky. He, You know, and he's very hardworking and very smart. I'm not taking anything away from Kevin Feige is the most successful movie producer that's ever been, but he was also the right person at the right time who had also push out <laughs> Avi Arad so that Marvel could be what it could be. Right. So like, you know, he won the game of Thrones. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes. Kevin Feige, the uh, junior producer on the set of volcano. Mm -hmm. All those years ago. Um, Did so I ever tell you guys I went to college with Feige? No, I no. think he went to USC, right? Yeah, he, he we we didn't know each other. We we graduated the same year. We had mutual friends, but um, yeah. I've met him a tons of times over the years on set at junkets and 
interviews and everything. But yeah, it's just crazy to me. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> for the right. Maybe I'd be running Marvel and Feige would be on this podcast. <laughs> That's um, my alternate universe self. <laughs> yes, you're, yes, your Earth three, uh, your Earth three thousand self. Um, oh, no, I mean, maybe should you guys start a fan campaign to have me take over DC? <laughs> I don't think it could be much worse at this point. I, I, really, I have a not too dissimilar background of Feige. We're both born in Boston and went to USC film school. <laughs> Uh, the well, same I mean, age if, and everything. <laughs> if we do that, then I then I need you to co-sign Chris Carl's uh, uh, <laughs> Captain Crunch universe, in which all the serial monsters get their own uh, their hey, own man. universe. There, there are worse ideas that both Chris and the industry have had. So, <laughs> um, so Jim, I want to get you out on this. Um, we have a lot of conversations on this podcast, and we're getting closer and closer to three hundred. And we've been talking a lot about like why we do what we do and i want to ask you as uh as a produced playwright as an accomplished uh film and media media journalist um why do you still love film and why do you why do you enjoy doing what you do boy that's a that's a big <laughs> question i i will say um i still love film for the same reason i loved it as a child which is it offers escape it gives you um uh a chance to see how other people live or could live, even if it's not on this world, right? Like I love science fiction. I love all that geeky stuff, you know, and nobody in this world gets superpowers, but there's still, if you do that right, like whether it's Superman 78 or some of the best Marvel stuff, like you connect with them as people. Um, and so I think, you know, the reason why I still do it is, um, one, I've worked worse jobs. <laughs> Never want to do that stuff again. I'll be completely honest. It's not, you know, like you get practical at a certain age and you're like, eh, this ain't all that bad, you know, for all the troubles that, you know, or whatever might come up. Like uh, I've done worse, but I will say I still love movies just because they, you know, or I should say any kind of filmed entertainment because, um, you know, you know, obviously HBO and 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 a lot of the streaming series offer you cinematic level um, uh, entertainment and storytelling and and the realization of a writer's kind of vision for something and a director's vision, you know, in a way that uh, cinema can now. So uh, I guess it's just um, it, it's an amazing time to see so many opportunities for talent to be discovered, for stories to be told of all varieties from all sorts of folks, but also an amazing time to be around for the sheer level of implosion that could happen at any minute. Like, it's not without its risks. Like, I, I kind of feel like, is this the Hollywood equivalent of what it was like to be alive in like 1928, early 29, before the crash happened? Like, you know, like, uh, you know, we're having fun now, but you know, this will all come crashing down, like maybe, or you know, I don't know. I, I, it's a it's a loaded question and one that I feel like with time I'd be able to have a better kind of answer for. But I, I do think it's a um it's it's it'll always be a fascinating medium as as long as people have something interesting to tell and it regardless of where it's set, whether it's in the deep past of our planet or the deep future of a different one, 
as long as there's something emotionally you can hook onto. Um, and that's really the trick, right? Is like for all the eye candy and everything, like you got to get the feels from something, you know, it's not enough just to be cool. There are plenty of cool things, but they don't, you know, necessarily last people remember there's reason why Top Gun Maverick is killing it is because people emotionally respond to that movie. That movie works on a level beyond nostalgia. That movie works on its own because it knows what it's doing. And I think that movie encapsulates the reason why for right now at this moment in time, movies and theaters still matter, which is we all want to have that effect, whether as a storyteller or as an audience, something that will emotionally get us from the most visceral level to the most intimate personal level, you know, and, and uh, few other mediums can offer that, you know, you music can offer that depending on the artist performing, right? Like it has to be, you know, that connection between artist and audience and, and filmed entertainment can offer that in a way that, you know, in, in a shared way, I should say, in a way that even books can't, is you retreat into your own imagination with a book. When it comes to film or TV, you know, that's all you got. Even stage, you know, you mentioned theater and how I love plays. That shit can differ from night to night. You know, like it might be the same text, but you could play it differently to try it out. You know, there's no like you 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 bank a take on movies. That's it, man. <laughs> like that's it. That's all you got. So no, that was a great question. Thank you. I appreciate that. Ask me again in ten years and see. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have uh, we'll have opportunities to talk again in the next ten years. But mm. um, like I, I was struck by that question because I I feel that over the course of the last decade or so, that things have deteriorated in the way that we talk about film, and that it's it's gotten more tribalistic and and more yeah. more hostile hostile. And I I've been reading and watching your pure unadulterated joy over the Elvis movie on Twitter for the last <laughs> three months. And that's it, not exactly a movie without division, I will say. I mean, no, but and, and rightfully so, I understand all the reasons about him and about the film. So right, but but look at the joy that that film brings you. Look look at the way that that film taught, spoke to you and moved you in that way. Well, and also a lot of other a lot of other people too. Right. People who, in that was for me, like I was too close to that subject matter going into it. I, I <laughs> and I realized as soon as the the credits rolled at the end of it, I was like, ah, shit, <laughs> I was too close to this one. Um, and and but like it's it's really grown on me. I really like the movie now, but I was very like you know it was a good reminder of like okay just because you really are knowledgeable of something like the first comment you know the publicist always asks you when you see a movie early um how do you think people respond and i said i honestly don't know with that one because i don't want to hear from other people like me who know everything about him or have a a vested opinion right one way or another, whether you hate them or you you really love them, I want to hear from people who didn't know anything and see it. And those are the people that really have struck me. And they were the ones who it ultimately took those folks to make that movie a conversation piece and 
you know, yes, it was a very expensive movie. I don't think it's like a wild success commercially, but it's a success in a way that nobody was banking on. And I'm very, you know, happy for Baz Luhrmann and for Austin Butler that, you know, this sort of um, single-minded dedication to humanizing this guy. Yes, the movie could have gone deeper. I, I, I both agree with every criticism and praise of the movie. It's very strange. I can't say that about a lot of other films, but like I get every reason why people don't like this movie and why they love the movie. It's a weird film like that. But um, I'm, I'm glad that the movie uh, proved that it took others who didn't know him as religiously as I did and many of his other fans to to like make that film something that has gone above and beyond just placating you know the faithful yeah for sure and and like my thing is is just like we get so caught up in the the did you like it did you not that we lose focus of like the film is literature part of it of it being interpretive and of different people taking different things out of different films and different films resonating with people differently. Um, and I think that that's a good thing. But I think that we've entered, we've, we've been getting progressively worse about talking about it that way. And so that's why I wanted to ask you that question about why you still do this, because like I see and I, I, hear I will say that that debate, that, that your observation about it getting, that predates even social media and, and film Twitter. I mean, it started the minute you put comment sections on articles. All you got was it sucks, it rocks. It was a binary reaction, and and it hasn't gone away because I don't think this sounds incredibly snobby, but I don't know how many people are are willing or sophisticated enough to kind of give something its due and step out of their own ego enough to like kind of weigh other opinions. Uh, by the way, I like your cat cameo behind your head. I'm sure this is an audio podcast, but right now there's this cute little cat sticking up right behind Brian's head. So, uh, but to, you know, it, it's like I feel like that sort of you you really nailed nailed it with the uh, tribalization um, of of film opinions. But you know, I, I I do think it's been there for a while, and social media has just been able to sort of let it fester like a wound. And um, I feel like people are so dug in and their opinions now have so much um, political and uh, identity sort of issues wrapped up in it on, on every aspect of these arguments that to back down or to change your opinion is, you know, um, <laughs> a fiery thing to do or, or just, asking for trouble and i don't know i mean maybe i'm uh you know i i i i'm guilty of that as well like you know i'm not gonna i don't want to throw stones in a glass house here i'm human but uh you know i do feel like the the sort of the be to be able to have a nuanced discourse is a um uh <laughs> is like trying to find like um you know, something at a, a a flea market that's like very old and like precious and maybe 
it's probably a little dinged up at this point. <laughs> like trying to find a scarret in the desert. Yep. All so. right. Well, Jim, we appreciate your time. And oh, wait. We, uh, Man, let me let me jump in real quick because uh, it's not often that we might have breaking news while we're talking to Jim. Oh, no. What happened? But, uh, so, uh, Hollywood Reporter, uh, Boris, uh, what's his last name? Boris Kitt. Kitt? Yeah, yeah, I know Boris. So, he's saying that DC may have potentially found their new head. Uh, oh. He says it's Dan Lind. Uh, oh, Dan Lind. Yeah, I know. Him. Okay. Yeah, so he's, he, a, he's a veteran producer. Um, he, here, I'm, I happen to have Twitter open, so bear with me here okay. while we do this. I'm going to grab Boris's tweet. Dan Lin. Yeah, I want to say I've met Dan Lin just at events. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he's got a good pedigree. Um, he is a producer. He is a successful producer. I personally don't know um, what his fanboy credentials are um, in terms of what does he actually love? I know he did like the Sherlock Holmes movies and mm-hmm. I I think he was involved with it and stuff like that. But you know, it yeah, I, I need to know more about um about what his beliefs are in in uh, the DC properties and what what actually because Feige, while he was a probably a Star Wars fan first, he was a Marvel fan. He did understand, um, you know, those properties. Um, so it's not enough to just say, oh, we've got a successful producer. Will that successful producer listen to the studio or will they listen to their creatives? Because it's not, um, it's not, it's not an easy thing, you know? No, and Feige is, you know, in, in the book that's been written about the history of Marvel Studios, it points this out very well that, like, Feige consistently went to bat for his creatives and with their ideas. Um, so that's also going to, I think, be a necessity, especially in a in a uh, in an administration that seems to be uh, based around austerity and cost-cutting measures. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, I know some people are probably like, oh, Jim Lee, but Jim Lee is a, uh, you know, comics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they're just two different mediums, you know. Um, uh, I, I think they're, uh, I think with Dan Lin, you could get somebody who understands the business, understands studio politics. And I, I, if I'm understanding the story correctly, he is going to be able to bypass mm-hmm. a lot of the studio brass and have control, which to me is what somebody needs. Um, but yeah. does he have the taste? That's the other thing. Yeah, the story says that he go he reports straight to Zasloff and jumps everybody else. So, I well, don't... I mean, that is the, like I was explaining to you guys earlier. With uh, uh, that was Feige getting around Ike Perlmutter. Mm-hmm. Um, and isn't isn't Horn over at Warner's again now? Just as a conciliary, and I bet you that was his idea because mm-hmm. he was the one that made that happen for Feige. So, you know. Indeed. Well, rare breaking news as we have gotten Jim's opinion on the potential rumored 
new head for DC Films. Um, so we uh, we appreciate Jim coming on with us, and uh, you can keep if you want to keep up with this podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan at the Mystery, and Jim is at Jim Vavida, and the podcast is at On the Brain Movies. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant day. Thanks all. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. guys. Hey, have a great one. Thank you, as always, for having me. And uh, uh, I'm sure we'll touch base again soon once we see how all this uh, Warner stuff shapes out. Yeah.